Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander. I'm here with my co-host, Don Grafham. Don. Yes. Good to see you. Good to see you, In John. the same room. I know. Here we are. It's like it's like we're past this pandemic thing. No, I mean, we aren't back. that, but oh. we're far enough away that okay. we can <laughs> pretend like we are a little That's bit. True. In the same room. We like that. We like yeah. That. How are you doing? I am doing very well. I mean, we have so many exciting things going on with our church. It really feels like we're poised for a new chapter almost. Just recently, we announced that we're going to open site number 10, which is an exciting piece of where we're headed. And I'm feeling good. Where's site number 10? Tell us. Well, site number 10 is going to be in Ham Lake, Minnesota. Ham Lake, Minnesota. Super exciting. We'll have to tell that story another time on the podcast. Not for this one, but it's incredible. It is an incredible story, something only God could orchestrate. And I mean, it's going to be exciting as we step into this new chapter. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited today because we have two of my favorite people on the entire planet here with us. Don, you're number one. Oh, My wife is number two, but three and four are close. (laughs) Are Dave Holvig and Nate Noli. Now I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves. Dave, let's start with you. Who are you? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Dave Holvig. I'm the worship ministries director, and I started uh, way back in the early 2000s playing guitar at this church when it was only one campus and looked nothing like it does today. So I've seen a lot of change. Five years later, I came on as a junior high worship leader and often I wonder if I can go back because those are some of the best years of my life. <laughs> nice. So you've been at this church almost 20 years. Is that true? In some yeah. capacity? It's, it's actually hard to hear you say that out loud, but yes, that is true. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, yeah, Dave oversees our entire music department here at this church. And then we've got Nate Noling. Nate, who are you? Uh, I am the production director on staff here. So I've been on staff not quite as long as Dave. I've been around, uh, it'll be nine years this summer, which is uh, also crazy to say, not quite 20 years. But yeah, nine years this summer. Uh, and you were in high school when you started here, right? <laughs> <laughs> not quite, close. But um, yeah, started off as a lighting designer here and have just slowly kind of uh, yeah changed positions a little bit over time. And uh, yeah, I've been production director for nearly four years here, so... Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you guys, and I'm excited for our listeners because we're going to be talking about what makes an engaging weekend service experience, what it takes to build that kind of experience, uh, the kind of experience that people are excited to come to, they're inspired by, they want to invite their friends, family members to, and the kind of culture it takes to build um a place, a church that creates engaging weekend service experiences. However, we also recognize that we've got leaders who maybe aren't pastors or worship leaders or people who work in production. I just want to say, before you sign off, you're like, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to listen. Before you do that, I'm telling you, this conversation is more than just about church, music, sound, lights, production, and the worship service. It is that. We're going to talk about that. But it's so much more because what I love about these two guys is that while the worship service experience is important, what we might call, you know, the product or deliverable, use those two terms loosely because it's not that, but the thing that we're producing, it's important. What's even more important is the kind of culture that we're creating, who people are becoming and what kind of overall creative atmosphere these two are creating. And they're two of the best in the world at this. By the way, it's worth noting, I don't even know if you guys knew this, I did some basic calculation. I say basic, like this is not, any kind, I don't even know if this is completely accurate. So I just kind of quickly uh, added these up in my head. But between these two, 
They're responsible, well, this is true, for leading the worship services at 11 campuses, 10 of our physical locations, plus online. And collectively, they have direct or indirect responsibility for, again, this is my addition, 150 plus staff and 300 plus volunteers. So you guys oversee and have a lot of responsibility. So Dave, I want to start by asking you this. Um, what kind of culture are you trying to create within the Eagle Brook music and weekend services world? Let's talk about culture. Yeah. If I were to boil it all the way down, I would say a culture that values people over, you mentioned the word product, over the program, over their performance, over policy, any P that you can think of. Basically, <laughs> we want to value people first. And what I've learned and discovered is that when we do that, incidentally, people go the extra mile for you anyway. And I would say we're seeing some of the best execution we've seen since I've been around. And so I think we kind of flipped the script on things and uh, just feels really healthy right now. Okay. So how drill down that a little bit, if you're valuing people over the gifts that they bring, what kind of strategies have you had to implement over the years to ensure, because this hasn't always been true, right? I mean, not to talk poorly about some of the history we've been a part of because we've been a part of helping create that kind of culture, but this hasn't always been true. So what kind of strategies have you implemented recently to ensure that we care about people more than yeah. the product? Uh, the first one that comes to mind is we, we really tried to redefine feedback. I had this thought this morning, this might not land. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> I just bought a new alarm clock and it's job is to light up like the sun. So you feel like it's morning, right? And, and it's just the sound of like birds chirping. So there's no jarring alarm sound. It, it, and, it, and I had this thought of like, we can wake people up one of two ways. We can either blast them in the face with an alarm clock, or we can be this gentle sun that opens <laughs> up with a blossoming, you know, the sound of chirping birds. Either way, we get up but one makes you want to punch that person in the face. <laughs> and so I think we've learned that there's a way to give feedback. There's a time to give feedback. And what really matters is understanding the weight of what people are carrying. And so when we can be in it shoulder to shoulder with them, when they know that Nate has been on the light board, he gets the pressure. When I've been in the trenches with them, I think it allows us to speak into some really difficult stuff. But so I'd say feedback is one. Um, there's, there's a few other things. Shared leadership comes to mind. I had this thought that if you want a culture that transcends you, you have to allow other people to lead too. And so what that's done is, you know, in our world, we have so many projects where we're not the leader mm -hmm. and people are just running with these things and they're empowered to do that. And it's created a really healthy for me to be led by someone that I technically lead has been the best thing for me. And I think it does really cool things for our culture. So yeah. those are a couple of things that come That's to great. mind. That's great. I've always told you, I have a lot of empathy for worship leaders and, and people in production, creatives in general. It's such a vulnerable place to put mm -hmm. yourself out there, to show people your gift, to lead from your gifting because you're singing and playing and People notice when you mess up or when you're not as good as the person next to them. I mean, it's such a vulnerable place. And if you don't lead with that kind of empathy mm -hmm. or caring about the people, or even when you give feedback, having the understanding, like you said, you've been in the trenches with some of these people, like mm -hmm. you understand what it feels like. So when you give feedback, you do so from a place of, of empathy. I think that's so important 
because it's such a vulnerable place. Um, Nate, okay, I want to flip this to you. Um, hey, with production, okay, we know the toys, the lights, the sound, the video. Uh, it's easy. It's too easy to get sucked into the execution of something. Again, just to leave, use this word, I don't think it uh, applies directly to a church experience, but for the sake of comparison, the product, it's easy to get sucked into the execution, the product, and just leave people in the dust. But you've done something different in our production world and helping it uh, become the kind of culture you've wanted it to become. Um, talk about that a little bit. How have you turned that production world into the kind of culture you wanted it to be? Yeah, I think it really started for me with the question of, do I value people more for who they are or what they do for us? And I think that's a question that I ask myself daily. Uh, and after a one-on-one, after uh, meetings, I go, does this person know that I value them more than just what they're doing here? Uh, and I think that's a great question to ask whether you're leading volunteers or whether you're leading a large staff. Uh, and, if, and if you don't know, I, 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 your people probably feel that they, that you don't value them more. And once people feel that, like Dave said earlier, they'll, they'll go the extra mile. And so the, what they do for you actually becomes, uh, better inherently just based on feeling valued. Uh, you get just a better result. Um, and so that, that's kind of the biggest thing that I I think that was a, a game changer for us here. Uh, and what that played out in practically is that we made a shift, um, away from focusing on the gear and it was, it had to be an intentional shift because I think production people in general, focus on the gear and it becomes something that covers up a lot of underlying cultural problems, whether that be insecurity. I can't tell you how many times we've had, you know, audio engineers, oh, it's not my mix. It's just the PA or it's not this, it was the gear or, you know, the, this. And I think when you remove the focus on gear and you say, no, it's, it's how we're using it. It's how we do what we do. It removes that insecurity. People can lean into some of those mistakes and work and develop. Uh, it also removes that ability for pride or control to develop because you're not putting the faith in these systems or in these gear, but you're really focusing on the people and the experience that we're creating for those who walk through our doors. Yeah, that's great. Okay, Don, I want to flip this to you now. You've been around the church for, well, Eaglebrook Church for 15 plus years, but the global church for much longer than that. And you've sometimes seen this done well in music and productions. Other times <laughs> you haven't. I mean, this is such an important part of what we do as a church to create engaging weekend services. So if you were to boil down just a couple of key takeaways for other leaders about what it takes to lead creatives or building a healthy culture in this creative world, what would you say to them? Well, I think it's interesting. You guys have already talked about feedback and about vulnerability, insecurities. It's amazing what an emotional task we're talking about. I mean, really, because it is on display. I mean, on a stage, lights, all the sound. I mean, it's all that uh, something that the public can see. So for me, I've had to learn how to be a a better encourager. I mean, I, I usually assume that people know they're really good at it, especially around Eaglebrook. I mean, we have such amazing musicians, production people, like, of course they know they're good. Do I even need to say it? <laughs> well, I guess I do. And I mean, I can actually take that for granted on occasion. And, and around here, if, you know, if, if we have 10 things and nine of them went really well and one of them didn't go well, we only talk about the one thing. We don't mm-hmm. talk about the other nine. And I have to remember to like, hey, of course, this song was awesome. The production was great. The sound was just right. But now let's chip away at this last piece. I think I have to remember to say the first nine things that went really well. (laughs) 
I've forgotten that many times. And so just to remember to encourage creatives is really important because it is an emotional task and they do get very attached to what they, they do. Uh, the second thing I've realized is I have to know my limitations. Like I don't have a lot of musical expertise. Now I did play alto saxophone through high school. So, you know, that's, that, <laughs> yeah. I know what a crescendo is. I know the word staccato. You know, I know like these things. I have some musical Which we, terms, we use on, that a lot, staccato. <laughs> I know, I'm sure that you guys use that. But I mean, so I do have actually very little musical understanding, but I can't give a lot of musical advice. I mean, and I, I should stay out of that lane and I have to stay in my lane. And my lane often is the spoken parts. Like I can say, you know, when you gave that worship thought, here's what's working really well. Here's a way that could be a little bit better. I can say a little something about just, hey, as an attender, I'm experiencing the emotion of the end of that song felt like it ended down. Maybe we can, can you end it emotionally higher? I don't even know how to do that. But sometimes just putting some words to that uh, has been helpful. It's a way as a non-creative essentially that I can speak into and lead through some of that. And the other thing I've learned, especially with you, Dave, is I've had to learn, like I have to double check my feedback. Because sometimes I'd say to a, a music pastor, like, oh, for sure, you should start the song this way. And then I found out later, you said, no, don't start the song that way. Yeah. And we've had mixed messages and I've had to learn how to, oh, I better check in with Dave because maybe I'm not quite right on this one. And I don't know if that's true in all worlds, but I do think even like in a smaller context, it's probably good for me to say like, hey, I'm feeling this. Is anybody else feeling that? You know, well, just I would to say, say, too, you, what you bring that, that is so helpful is you bring more of an attender perspective when it comes to music. Right. And so that's, there is value in that, just to throw that out there. Yeah. I, I think you're going to hear and feel things that you might not be able to describe yeah. in musical terms, but it is helpful. Yeah. No, and I agree. I think that's because I do know musicians, especially they get in the weeds, you know, of trying to figure out these nuances. And then I can just say like, hey, as an attender, I just wonder... Can mm-hmm. we change this little transition or, or how we move through something? And, and that's, that's maybe been a little bit helpful. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not a science working with creatives. Mm-hmm. And, John, this is your job. Mm-hmm. So just to turn the question on you because you actually, you know, you oversee these guys. You oversee all our creatives and production. Uh, how do you do it? How yeah. do you work with creatives? Yeah, what's interesting about my role and who I am as a person I'm not inherently a creative person. Like I'm not a musical expert. I'm not a production expert. I'm not a creative media film expert. So I often see my job as to lead the experts. So I truly defer Mm -hmm. expert opinions to Dave and Nate when it comes to music and production. But generally about creatives, I try to come at it from a place of, you guys have mentioned this, but empathy So that pastoral heart of what are they struggling with? How do they feel? Um, The fact that that they have limitations, I have limitations. So when you ask for something to be done, there's only a certain amount of energy, time, talent that they actually have. So we might have a vision for something, but you know what? They have limitations. They have lives outside of Eagle Brook as well. So just understand those limitations. And a couple other things I'm thinking about is and we haven't talked about this yet, but is that creatives need clarity. They do need to know the sandbox. Oftentimes we think creatives want a free-for-all experience. Let me do whatever I possibly want to do. And I have found, I don't know if you guys speak to this, I found that's not actually true. That's actually more stressful, more anxiety-inducing than like, Mm. okay, here's the sandbox. Now, if it's really controlled, really defined, I think that's also a 
an out-of-bounds place we don't want to go. But I do think they want some clarity of what works and what doesn't work. And a couple other things I, I'm thinking about are vision. So beyond clarity and the boundaries, it's like, here's where we want to go. Let's do that. Let's get there. We can do it. Um, and to bring their full selves to it. Oftentimes I find myself texting or saying to worship leaders um, or production managers or lighting designers that I want them to bring their full authentic, spiritual self to it. So in the midst of that, how can they be bold, take risks, take chances, push things forward? Um, So with that clarity, there's also a vision and that challenge to like, keep going, bring your full self to it. Don't go through the motions. Um, What we're creating, what we're doing has eternal implications in my opinion. So I'm just trying to remind them of that because it's so easy to get sucked into the routine and going through the motions. Yeah. No, I think that's that's great insight. Let, let's shift the conversation to engaging weekends. I mean, we've used that phrase a little bit. I know you guys often call that the win or a success on a weekend. Dave, let me throw it your direction. What is an engaging experience? What do you guys even mean by that? Well, I almost want to start by saying that in some ways, Nate and I have the luxury of standing on the shoulders of giants who literally baked into our world this idea of excellence. So... I'm just grateful that I don't have to harp on that because that's just part of what we do. People know that we expect it to be great, do the work, do the preparation. So in some ways, I, I want to give credit where it's due and also recognize that um, that's pretty unique to our church. Um, and it's taken a lot, a lot of time to get there. But now with that in place, um, the first thing that comes to mind is authenticity. To me, that's, that's paramount. That's how we make a big church feel small, um, the way we communicate. I would much rather it feel like our conversation right here, looking into your eyes, sitting across the table, than you talking broadly to a... It, I want it to feel like a conversation. And I think that breaks down walls. Um, the other thing is, is speaking and playing with authority. I want... Um, our musicians, our leaders to go for it because that's how we inspire people. We have to push our own limits and go for it. And, and that's how we engage them. So we're trying to get past playing it safe. Um, and then lastly, the, the thing that comes to mind is story is how we connect. And so even when we craft a worship set, we're thinking in terms of a story arc. We're thinking where are people starting and where do we want them to be and how do we get them there? And what this weekend, what is the story that we're telling? Whether it's through the lyrics, through the intensity or energy of the song, all of that stuff. So oddly, I feel like we're more in the minutia than ever. It's the smallest little things that add up to moments for us now because some of the heavy lifting already happened 10 years ago and we're reaping the benefits of that. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Nate? What, what are you looking for in an engaging weekend? Yeah. I would say for me, I just to harp on what Dave was saying a little bit, it's, it's all about authenticity. And a lot of the times it just becomes, there's something in either the worship leader or a musician or, you know, a campus pastor that we just need to unlock something so that their true selves can come out from the platform. And in that people in our rooms feel connection to them and ultimately engage in our services. And so a lot of times production can actually be something that 
uh, inhibits that. We either say, oh, stand in that spot or don't do that or that looked weird on camera. Can you maybe do it this way or can you maybe say it this way? And so a lot of the times with our production teams, we're saying, how do you actually encourage those who are on stage to be them, their, their full selves? How do you uh, try to get out of the way so that they can be authentic and connect with the people who are in our rooms? And so I think that's our 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 number one thing that we need to continue to focus on is just authenticity. Is this worship leader bringing their true selves or are they being someone that we know that they're not, that they feel uncomfortable with because that comes through in their worship? Yeah, that's good. You know, we're, our mission, and you've heard us say this, is that we're empowered by God to reach people for Christ. So we're pretty unashamedly about doing things and filtering feedback and our weekend service experience through the eyes of someone who has not been to church ever, who hasn't been to church in a really long time, whose church experience was growing up in the local Catholic church, Lutheran church, Baptist church that was traditional. They weren't excited by it. They weren't. So we're filtering so much of what we do through the eyes of someone who is unchurched. But we also want this weekend service experience to be beneficial for believers as well. So Nate, I want to ask you this question because you're often there on Saturdays, Sundays, and you're, I would say, captain of the ship from the building over at Lino, and you're watching different campuses, checking in, making sure that our broadcast experience, I mean, you're filtering all these things and you're balancing, is this going to land well in different points of our service for people who are unchurched? And is this going to be a moment, something that inspires, connects people to God um, for people who've been believers for a long time? I mean, how do you balance all of that when you're uh, evaluating a weekend service? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And there, and it is an art. There's no science. It's not, uh, you know, a, a solved problem, but I would say the number one thing is you have to continue to put on the hat of someone who doesn't know Jesus. Is this weird? Why are we saying it that way? Does this make sense? Or is this just, I'm a professional churchgoer and I just go with it. And so we, we need to continue to remind ourselves, who are we trying to reach? And we're trying to reach those who haven't grown up in a church, who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship. And so we always need to start and begin with that of how is this going to, how is this going to sound to someone like that? Yeah. Uh, but we also need to create worship services that are engaging, that do take people places. And I think in that, it creates this, I want what they have type experience for people where they go, I don't know what's going on here, but there's something powerful in this room. And we've, that's something that we've experienced with this kind of post-COVID coming back, regathering, that it just reminded us all that there is something uniquely spiritual that happens when we gather in a room for corporate worship. And so we can't step away from that. We can't try to water that down. We can't lose that, but we always need to remember who we are talking to. Yeah, man, that's really well said. You used a phrase, I just want to clarify, professional churchgoers. It's a good thing to go to church every weekend, we use it internally to talk about ourselves because our eyes are, it's so hard to see an experience through the eyes of someone who's unchurched, who doesn't attend church, who doesn't work at a church. So we remind ourselves all the time, we're professional churchgoers. We're all professional, you're a professional churchgoer. Paid, too, paid, to church. <laughs> <laughs> paid professional churchgoer. But Dave, I, I know that you guys have come uh, in alignment in so many ways, you and Nate, about how you view weekend services. One of the things I've always loved about you, Dave, and maybe this comes from your junior high worship leading days and just the fun. You were so, you are so fun. You're still really fun. <laughs> Thank you. But you are, you are passionate 
about ensuring that we're, we don't do things that are overly weird, that don't come across as off-putting to people who are just, again, we're thinking about those people who, are, who showed up and they took a chance and they're afraid and they're anxious and nervous. They don't know anything about God. So you are passionate about, of course, creating memorable, engaging, powerful experiences. Man, week after week, we have those but you're equally as passionate about creating moments for people that are fun yeah. and lighthearted and show that we're human. Um, tell me about that. <laughs> why, why is that important to us? Why is it important to you? Well, it's, it's one of the reasons I loved this church when I first came. I mean, going back to Bob's messages, like we understand as a church that humor and fun is what connects with people. And breaks that's, down walls, doesn't it? It does. And yeah. that's what connects and that's what pulled me in. Uh, but I also think it's probably less of the junior high and more of the fact that I'm not a worship leader by calling. I don't feel like a worship leader. I'm more of a musician who's in a leadership role. And that has been a huge advantage for me at this church because I lead people who, if unchecked, will be dead serious about worship. And that's their calling. That's and there's their a wiring. time and place for that, but you're trying and to balance. And we need that. Yep. And so I, my job is to remind them that the person slamming the mocha in the front row <laughs> is not offensive. This is a good thing. Right. And so we don't want all the hands in the air. Otherwise, we've completely gone inward. And yeah. so we have to pay attention to that. So I think my, my upbringing is now finally serving me well, where it's like I have naturally the eyes of a non-worship leader person. Now I battle the own, my own professional church going problems, which is more related to like the mix and sound and lights and all of that stuff. So I have my own issues, Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think fun is never going to go out of style. Yeah. Right. Hey, Donna, <laughs> talk to you. Uh, first of all, we've done a lot of fun things. We've done a lot of memorable things. Some of those memories, I want you to share some of these. Cause I picture mm-hmm. you during one opener, jumping off a desk <laughs> to kick off the service into the arms of several of your staff. I mean, that's some of the things that we've done. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I've walked out to a smoke cannon once for a game between me and the worship, to kick off a worship service. I mean, yeah. I, we've done some, this is during weekend services. It's the call to worship. We've also played songs yeah. that are um, not worship songs. Mm-hmm. And we do that still to this day, maybe Dave, would you say once every five, six weeks or so, maybe once every other month, yep. but it used to be on a regular basis. Cause that's one of the things we felt like connected most with unchurched people. It's no secret. Some of those people, some people don't like that we do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty stereotypical. Who's not going to like it, who that person is, but it's something we have to deal with every time we do something that doesn't feel like, quote, church to people. T- tell me about your feelings on this and your upbringing and how it relates to why you're passionate about it, why you're always texting Dave, more Aerosmith, more Aerosmith, more Aerosmith. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's actually more Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, bon Jovi. That's, that's, usually usually that's, that's right. Okay, but tell Never us about why, why you care and what, what is, why, do you, why does that matter to you? Well, I, I think back to the question we were just working through too is what's an engaging experience for me is one that is especially customized to the person coming for the very first time. And, you know, I want to remind church leaders anywhere listening, like, this is the weekend that a new person is coming. And so someone in your church has been thinking, praying for years to get their brother, 
colleague, neighbor there. And this is that weekend. And you know, when they, when you bring a person like that and they're sitting in that seat next to you, you're looking in a whole different lens. I mean, you're just saying, please don't screw this up. Please, please don't be weird. You know? And so that's, even as we've talked about that is we are incredibly normal. Like, I think that's what I love about our church is just the normal nature of walking through the doors, the way greeters meet you, the way you settle into your seat, the music, the volume, the spoken words are all just kind of normal. But part of normal is having fun. And so, yes, I do love uh, a tool of an opener because I think that is a tool. If I bring somebody that's there for the very first time, it is going to disarm them immediately. You can do Aerosmith in church. (laughs) You can do a Bon Jovi song. I mean, immediately they're spinning like, I didn't even know this was legal. And I think it just disarms them. And then I think as they move into the service and we maybe should talk more about the funnel that we kind of think of is that kind of opening those opening moments, you're really letting people just settle into their seats. And the reason we do that is so that at the end, God can speak to them in a clear and direct way. And it's even why we are so obsessive about production and excellence in some ways, which I know is a word that has some baggage to it. And the reason we're excellent isn't just so that we're perfectionistic people. It's so that we can remove all the barriers so, so that people aren't paying attention to the typo on the side screen, the lyrics that are coming up too slow, the musician that's out of tune, because once those things happen, people are paying attention to that. We want them to pay attention to God. <laughs> we want them to hear directly from their heavenly father. So if you can remove those distractions, I think you even said that phrase earlier, a distraction-free experience is, is so that they can connect with their heavenly father, not Absolutely. that they see our perfectionism yeah. in any way. So I love, I mean, you're right. I did jump off the, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was the information booth <laughs> at the time booth, into yes. the arms of uh, different attenders through a flash mob experience that went yeah. from one site to the other. It's probably one of my favorite openers. Uh, that was a journey song, wasn't it? journey song, <laughs> yeah. Can't Stop Can't, Believing, yeah, I don't yeah. know what it was. Mm-hmm. And started at Lino and moved to all of our different locations. And then, you know, they dropped me on the last service. So that was, I had to sing my part from the floor. <laughs> from the I floor. remember that. Yeah, that was a good moment. Yeah. But, you know, we've done spring break weekends where we've had different themes. Yeah. We call it the big three, which is fall kickoff, Christmas, Easter. You know, those get some extra, uh, you know, creative energy to them. And I just love those opening moments that are emotive or that they, they show great musicianship. And like we've had a harmonica player that comes in and when he just tears it up, I mean, it's who would think a harmonica solo is going to be engaging. Mm-hmm. But if you have any, it could be a cello person. I mean, it could be a guitarist. It could be Freebird, which everybody loves. Well, I not mean, everyone. But. Everybody loves a blazing yeah. guitar solo to start yeah. off a, a church service. But those things just draw me in. Yeah. And now I'm paying attention. What does God want to say to me? I don't even know that I'm, you know, being disarmed in that way, but as especially someone new to church, I just yeah. love it. I want to shift the conversation to two final topics before our time runs out. But just to put a little bow on that, I I mentioned at the beginning, we do have people who they don't love the fact that we do this. And I said stereotypically who those people are. They're they're typically going to be people who've been in a church for a really long time and they've established expectations of what church should feel like for them. Mm -hmm. We take all feedback we get and criticism, well, 95% of it. Sometimes 5% is really mean and ruthless and we try to shrug those off. But 95%, we listen to, we appreciate, we, we make changes oftentimes as a result. But what, we, what is hard for some people to understand is that when we do this, it just isn't for them. And that's hard for people to take. Mm-hmm. The first five minutes, that moment, 
I know you didn't love it. I know you didn't love that we were doing Can't Stop Believing. I know you didn't love, you know, our campus pastor jumping off, but we're trying to break down walls, connect with people, show people we're normal. And then by the way, the next 55 minutes are gonna be (laughs) really for you as the person who already has faith in, in Christ. And now we're trying to draw everyone into that. But we also have just one other final comment about that. We used to do these moments almost every week and we found um, the way to reach a next generation of unchurched people isn't necessarily doing as many what we'd call secular moments or fun moments as we've done in the past. We often have great weekends that are really inspiring to unchurched people that lack those. They have an incredible journey, a meaningful message, but all of our messages still are filled with story, humor, (laughs) self-deprecation. So every service is gonna have something for people to connect with, but we have limited the amount of openers and special moments that we've done in recent years because we think the target is shifting a little bit. Dave, do you wanna comment on that just briefly and then we'll move us on? I mean, think about when's the last time you went to a restaurant without Googling it and checking a review the the mystery of some of that those things that we used to do is gone now anyone that comes to our church i would argue has already seen it online they they're looking at it we we don't really want to risk any mystery anymore so it's like we google it we check it out so 10 years ago that wasn't the case they would come and we would wow their socks off and surprise them like i didn't see this coming now they've seen it and so it's lost its punch but what we found when we kind of got away from it entirely is there is still a value for it. Um, it does provide a different energy going into a service. And now that we've been doing them less, we're putting more intentionality into them. I think we're finding the right balance today of we're not surprising anyone, but we can create these moments that are different from a worship experience. And maybe the main difference is we don't need people to participate so there is that breath, you know, and obviously yep. we find other ways to do that with a welcome. But um, I think that's the key is is giving people a, a longer on-ramp to yeah. the service to just get ready. Yeah, that's great. Okay, last two topics. First topic is this. What would you say to other pastors and other church leaders who are working at a church that doesn't have the same amount of resource that Eagle Brook Church has? It's no secret. We're a large church. We tend to have um, a larger pool of of people who can play at a high level, um, high level of staff. I listed the numbers, even even financially. So we have an incredible amount of resource, but again, 98%, 99% of churches don't have that same resource, it's not better or worse. It's just different levels of resource. So Dave, uh, let me kick it to you. What would you say to church leaders who do want to improve and create engaging weekend services, but lack some of the resource that maybe we've been blessed with? Yeah, my thing would be to to make the most of what you got. Take a real hard look, honest look at where you're at, what you have to work with. And I would also encourage them by saying today is the best day, the best time to be in that situation because with the advent of YouTube and the internet, there are so many free resources that will show you how to do these things. Uh, you can go to multi-tracks and you can download half of your band and put them on a laptop now and if you have a decent drummer, you've got a great sounding worship set. <laughs> nice. So it's changed a lot. And I actually think um, it's a lot easier to move the ball down the field than it used to be. Yeah, so that's great. Nate, what would you add for production-wise? 
Yeah, I would say don't let the uh, don't let the lack of resources be something that restricts you. Look at what you do have, what you have been given, and make sure that you're pouring into the foundations of the culture. You can still prepare and have uh, you know everyone who who is there show up prepared, regardless of how many resources you have. You can still execute things well, regardless of how many resources you have. So take what you do have and what you have been given, and just focus on the foundations, focus on the culture, uh, build a culture of excellence, of people first, of authenticity. And, and I think you're going you're gonna to find that that's going to be fulfilling and, uh, and a fruitful culture. Awesome. Okay, last question, okay? I want to talk about the church of the future. This is a hot topic these days because we've been in this COVID pandemic season for 12 months. It's disrupted the church. Often you're here nationally. Uh, in-person attendance has returned to about 30, 40% of what it was, maybe as high as 60%. Some churches we've talked to, um, it's just a different world. So we're all going to take a stab at this because you guys all have crystal balls. God has told you what the church of the future <laughs> looks like. Uh, let's start with Nate. What is the future church going to look like? I mean, I, I think it's it's clear that online isn't going anywhere. It's here to stay and it's only becoming more a part of people's life. Um, so I think we as the church, uh, need to figure out how do we, how do we create connection and community through online church? Um, I think that's going to be something from a production and a worship experience standpoint that we have to work out. How does, how does a worship leader who's on stage call people who are in their living rooms to engage with worship? How do we know if it's working? How do we know, um, what engagement even looks like through a computer screen or through a TV? So I think we need to get better at that as a church, but I think the reality reality is it's, it's not going anywhere. It's not just a COVID thing. And in a year we're all going to return and no one's going to do digital anymore. It it's here to stay and it's only becoming more. Yeah, it's good. Dave, how about you take a stab? Well, I agree with Nate. It is here to stay. No doubt about it. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach and I'm happy to be wrong on this, but I, I feel like we are so saturated right now with social media, with online that I just think there's a lot of predictions about the church will never be the same. COVID just sped it up. We're dying, blah, blah, blah. I, I just don't see it that way. I think Nate's right. We have to pay attention to online. We have to pour into that and find ways to connect. But I don't see the NHL worried about people coming back. They seem to have a confidence that I sort of want the church to have to say like, when this thing is over, they're going to come back because you can't replace the real thing. We're going to keep trying to get close. But as someone who wasn't in church for months and finally came in and listened to a message, there is, it's, you can't put a price on being there. I can pay attention. I don't have kids, yeah. you know, all over me, climbing on me. So You've got four kids. It's, it's crazy probably different your house. Me, you get. <laughs> so I, I'm actually oddly hopeful yeah. right now, I yeah. think we're all going to throw our phones away someday. It's just going to hit a breaking point. <laughs> Different well, prediction. Interesting. Right. Balance those two, Don. How about you? Well, what would you say? I'd sit in the middle of these two guys. I do think both are right. I mean, I don't think online is going away anytime soon. As a matter of fact, I think we need to continue to learn about online. And even as we develop here online, how do we get people connected to small groups? Can we get people serving? The values we talk about, can we encourage people spending time with God, being generous? you know, all those things that we want from any attender, we can now encourage in online. And I do think we're going to t continue to have global impact that way. I just think that's a part of our future is global impact through online. And, and I 
firmly believe, and I think you and I might disagree a little bit on this one, John, is that like it is a legitimate community. Like if you're online, now I still think to Dave's point, you should come. Like you should be a part of a, a real life experience. But I also want to legitimize what is happening online. I was just telling you guys this before. My mom lives in Florida, but she goes to North Point. I mean, she's a faithful, she's on the email list. I mean, she's engaged in their ministries there, but she doesn't live anywhere near that. Is that legitimate? I think so. Now, do I kind of wish she went to a live, you know, in, in or real Eagle Brook Church? I was going to say. Work. Well, it's I a- mean, she does every <laughs> once in a while. It seems to turn that on. But Don's mom. Come on. I know. Eagle Brook Church. You seem <laughs> oddly supportive of North Point. <laughs> Maybe one day. I don't know. We'll, we have to keep working on it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I do think the online community is legitimate, and I don't think in-room experience is going away either. So you must continue to get better in that. How do you keep getting better at what God's given you? Because I do think... Uh, people aren't going away. I mean, they're going to come back. And I do think, especially in today's world, people are in need of the church. They're in need of Christ. And so we need to continue to get strong as people are looking for the hope that the church does offer. Yeah, I I would agree with you, actually. I know you said you maybe, I would disagree. Maybe we haven't chatted in a while, but I I would agree. Both are legitimate um, communities. Both are legitimate ways of growing in your faith and being a part of the church and I think the future church does look like growing both ends of it. Yeah. I think the in-room experience is not going away. There is something about gathering together, the corporate expression of worship, something that happens in the room. Like Dave said, you know, professional sports don't seem to be worried, but the church is kind of freaking out. Um, used NHL, Major League Baseball. There was a young guy who just signed 14 years, $340 million yesterday. Baseball's not worried. They have plenty of money. They're not, They're worried. not worried about mm. people coming back and it's sticking around. I'm not personally worried for the church either, but I do think it's going to be both and. It's growing the in-room experience and continuing to reach people there. It's also growing online. Every Mm -hmm. single week, Mm -hmm. I hear stories of people who uh, exclusively watch online or started watching online who have experienced incredible Christ-centered transformation. That's legitimate. And you can't tell them it's not legitimate because they've experienced life transformation. People all over the world. That's the other thing with online now and this digital expression. Really, when, when our senior pastor stands up and says he wants to reach people to the ends of the earth based on Jesus' command to his disciples, it's like, oh, w- we can be a part of that to the ends of the earth. Used to be you have to hop on a ship and go visit a country and, <laughs> and go reach those people, be a singular missionary. Now we have people who are being reached in India. One of our campus pastors shared that story I love that Two you didn't say ago. plane. You said, yeah. well, I was going back like to the 1800s. <laughs> I know. You know, I wasn't playing, I was jumping. <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying, to uh-huh. the ends of the earth. And so I think the future church, I have great hope for the church. I have great hope. Now I'm going to get sentimental because of people like you. I, I'm so humbled by people who dedicate their lives um, to building the church. I mean the people I'm sitting here with, Dave, Nate, and Don. Um, but I also mean people who are listening, people who are a pastor of a local church, volunteers in our community, um, people who are potentially going to jump into ministry opportunities and become a professional churchgoer, paid professional churchgoer. <laughs> um, I just, I have great hope because of the people I know who are passionate about reaching people who are far from Christ, who want the church to thrive. Love all of you. You're humble and hungry and you're just brilliant at what you do. And you've changed the game at Eagle Brook. And so it really is an honor to, to partner with you. Your influence extends far beyond these walls, 
But that's all we got for this episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. We do believe it. When leaders get better, the church gets better. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you for the next episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. Mm-hmm.